We're in chapter 28 and 29. Again, the whole theme of the book of Numbers is the idea of obedience versus disobedience. And in order to know if you're obeying or not obeying, you need to know what the rules are, right? You need to know what the command is. And here in chapter 28 and 29, God's going to give his command in how Israel is supposed to worship him, the different sacrifices. This isn't the first time he gives these commands back in Exodus and back in Leviticus. We'll just talk about those scriptures. This is the first time he gives all of the different ways to offer up offerings, the different feasts, the different times they gather together. But now it's a whole new generation. If you're reminded, the older men and women that thought that their sons and daughters would be destroyed by the giants, these young little kids, now they're the grown-ups. Their parents, because of their lack of faith, have all passed away. So now God, once again, is introducing all of the rules and regulations here for these different offerings. So lots of sacrifices, lots of offerings in chapter 28 and 29. One calculation of all the feasts combined would lead to a minimum of 1,269 sacrifices a year. Right? Peter wouldn't be very happy with the nation of Israel. Right? Over 1,200 sacrifices a year. We can be reminded how in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it tells us without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And it seems like the nation of Israel sinned a lot, right? If they needed over 1,200 sacrifices a year, you multiply that times the 1,500 years of the sacrificial system, and it's a lot of animals, a lot of lamb, a lot of brisket, a lot of lamb chops, right? A lot of animals left and right. But let's go ahead and dive into this. Chapter 28, we'll read verse 1 through 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. And you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hin for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. God first gives them the rules for the daily offering in Exodus chapter 29 verses 38 through 46. But in verse 2 we see who does the offering belong to. Open book test, right? Verse 2. It belongs to God. It belongs to the Lord. He says, it's my offering, my food, and my offering shall be made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. Now, it says that it's his food. So, does God need to eat? Right? Is God just sort of the, the lazy father that's up in the eternal couch all day long, right? 
And he needs his sons and daughters. He needs the bride of Christ. He needs the priest to cook him up his favorite piece of lamb or beef and offer it up to him. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 50. And here the psalmist gives us a great answer for this. And also the mindset and the heart behind the Lord for each sacrifice. Why would God have a sacrificial system, such a bloody system, a system filled with death, right? Why would God have something like this? In Psalm 50, verse 9, he tells them, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. So again, God's saying, I'm not taking anything from you. It all belongs to me in the first place. It's all mine in the first place. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Again, God does not need this physically. He doesn't need to be fed. He doesn't need money. He owns everything. He owns the entire universe. So why would God ask of and require and command a daily offering and sacrifice to him? For some of the parents here, right? I don't know if you've ever been there when you buy your kids food. You buy your kids food or maybe you buy them a treat, their favorite dessert, ice cream or a donut. And you give them and you hit them with the dad tax, right? What does that mean? Hey, let me have a bite of that donut, right? Let me, have a, let me have a little lick of that ice cream. Let me have a bite of... Why do you do that? Do you literally need a bite of that cookie, right? Are you going to pass out if you don't have that bite of cookie? Do you need that spoonful of ice cream? Are you so hungry that your body requires that one french fry, right? Is that why we ask it from them? No, we are seeing if they love us and if they're grateful towards us. That's why we ask them for that, because when they yell out mine and they snatch it away, hopefully you get a little angry, right? Because that little goober did nothing to deserve it, right? They did nothing to deserve it. And here the Lord, he's testing our hearts to see if we love him and if we're grateful for him. That's why he asks us for sacrifice every once in a while to test us. Hey, do you truly love me? Are you truly grateful for me, right? There's the saying, greater love has no man than this, than to give up the last bite of his dessert, right? What a greater test of love than that. Uh, more and more, this season of engagements and marriages, Amanda and I were talking how God usually puts opposites together in marriage. And he seems to always put that one spouse who's more than willing to buy all the desserts in the restaurant, right? That one spouse that's more than willing to buy one dessert for them and one dessert for their spouse and he seems to knit them together with the spouse that just wants to share one dessert, right? Or just wants one bite of the other person's dessert, right? Just this mix. And what does it require? It shows our sacrifice. It shows our love. It shows our heart. There in verse 14 and 15, God, he truly reveals to us what he wants. He doesn't just want that piece of our food that he already has given us but verse 14 tells us offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the most high call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me 
You see, what does God truly want? Is it the bulls and the lamb and the offering? Is it our time? Is it our 10% tithe that God truly wants and craves? No. What God desires is a heart of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. A heart that is quick to give God what he deserves, especially when we make vows and promises to him. God, if you save my marriage, I'll do X, Y, or Z. God, if you help me pass this test, I promise, fill in the blank. Lord, if you save my child, I will do whatever the case. Are we quick to give God our thanksgiving? And are we quick to honor our vows and our promises to him? What else does God desire? Verse 15, that we'd call upon him in our day of trouble. That instead of trying to do it in our own pride, Instead of going to the world to fulfill our needs and our days of trouble, instead of going to sin or sex or alcohol or drugs or relationship, what God desires is that when we go through that day of trouble, that we would call upon Him. So that's the heart behind the Lord with these sacrifices. He wants to see, hey, do you truly love me? Hey, are you really grateful for me? Hey, who do you turn to when you're in trouble? Do you turn to yourself, your own flesh, your own pride? Or are you humble enough to cry out to the Lord? In verse 3, we also realize how often we need to do these things. At the end of verse 3, it says, day by day. One lamb in the morning and one lamb in the evening. Day by day. People oftentimes will ask, how often do I need to read my Bible? Day by day. As a regular burnt offering. How often should I pray? Day by day. How often should I be still in God's presence? Day by day. If we truly want to grow in the Lord, if we want to really reveal to Him our love and our gratitude, if we want to honor our vows and promises, we need to spend time with Him day by day. And again, if it's someone that you love, you're excited about it, right? When people are getting married, they're off to the honeymoon. They don't say, oh my goodness, I have to see them every day now, right? Every day I have to be with them. No, they're they're excited about it. Our heart before the Lord, are we excited to be with Him day by day? Or is it sort of an annoyance? That should reveal to us where our heart is at. And we would definitely be much better off spiritually, physically, and even mentally if we would come to God with our needs and with our thanksgiving Day by day. Imagine instead of just holding it and bottling it up and holding all the stress, if we would turn everything off and cry out to God in stillness and quietness day by day. Offering Him an offering in the morning and you shall offer Him an offering in the evening. How often do we cry out to the Lord? The psalmist, he makes a habit of declaring how often he would cry out to God. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, he says, My voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. In Psalm 88, verse 13, But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. In Psalm 63, verse 6, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. There's something so important for us to cry out to God with thanksgiving, with our needs, day by day, morning and evening. In Psalm 141 verse 2, he says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 
Psalm 55, verse 17, he says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. What does our prayer life look like? Whenever you want a, a little slice of humble pie, right? Take a step back and consider your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? One of the greatest men in the Old Testament is a young man by the name of Daniel that was able to withstand Political party after political party after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. And a staple in Daniel's life, we find it in Daniel 6 verse 10. Even through difficulty, even when it was declared illegal, Daniel went and he knelt on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Again, we see that in these great men of God's word, in David and in Daniel, just a habit of coming to God and praying and giving thanks before him morning, noon, and night. Again, how's our devotional life, right? How are our devos going, right? Is it just a quick note card we read and sort of throw off? Or do we sit there morning, noon, and night? We can't sit there, right, three hours morning, noon, and night because then we would be unemployed, right? But with the time we're given, the season that we're given, how often are we sitting with the Lord? It was interesting last week with the students in the Zeal School of Ministry, one of the questions was how do you do devotional life, right? It was one of the big buzz questions there for those young adults. How do you do your devotional life? And I asked them, how do you do your eating, right? How do you do your eating, Do you eat only on Sundays? Do you eat only on Sunday and Wednesday? Oh, that's the only time I eat. I'm practicing fasting, right? Intermittent fasting. I only eat on Sundays and then I fast the rest of the week. No. Do we only eat picture-perfect meals? Even though our social media would like to say so, right? We don't eat picture-perfect meals. We eat whenever we sense that hunger or sometimes even when we're bored, if we're honest, right? Someone brings free food to the office, it's free, I have to eat it, right? That's what our minds trick us into saying. What would happen to our lives spiritually if we would read God's word whenever we sensed any hunger and any need? What would happen if we would read God's word whenever we were bored, whenever we just thought about our Bible, whenever we just thought about the word? The difficult thing is that it's harder to realize when we're getting hungry spiritually, But that's why it's best to handle it by giving a steady diet of morning, noon, and evening. And if you're just coming to the Lord, that's insane. Hey, just start in the morning. Start in the morning. Read a psalm, read a proverb, and continue to grow in the Lord. Back to Numbers 28, verse 9. says, And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year, without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering, mixed with oil, With its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. So this is a new commandment here. A new offering being given to the second generation. On the Sabbath, God now commands them to bring an extra lamb to be sacrificed in the morning and in the evening. Again, something special about giving God extra time, extra offering On that Sabbath day. In verse 11 he says. At the beginning of your months. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls. One ram. And seven lambs in their first year. Without blemish. 
won't read through the whole list of the specific offering, but the joy and the blessing for the nation of Israel to be given a fresh start each month. To be given a fresh start. Sometimes we have rough months if we're honest, right? For the Lord to give us a fresh start. A fresh start each month. We know that God, His mercies are new every morning. So for us to be reminded, God gives us a fresh start every morning, every month to be able to come to Him and say, Okay, Lord, in October, October was terrible, but God, it's a new month. Lord, let's go through this again, Lord. I want that fresh new month with you. One way that the ancient Jews would be able to tell that a new month was beginning was by paying attention to the moons. And we have the idea of the new moons when it's the darkest out there. You could barely see the moon. And in Isaiah chapter 1, it reminds us how God does not care specifically about the sacrifice, but God is concerned with something much more important behind the sacrifice. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Because this mindset still creeps into our hearts and into our minds even today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 through 20. And here God tells them, Bring me no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, here Israel, they're being obedient. They're following the daily sacrifice, the weekly sacrifice, every feast. They're following every month. They're following it to the T. But their heart is filled with sin. They're not ceasing to do evil. They have no idea how to do good. They're not seeking justice. They're not rebuking the oppressor. They're not defending the fatherless or the widow. So God, he doesn't care about our sacrifice only. He considers how does our life look like as a whole, right? Even in First and Second Timothy and in Titus, it's not just about the conduct of the church leader in church. What's the conduct of the church leader outside of the church, out in the world? And what's the conduct of that church leader within his own home? So for us, sometimes we lie to ourselves, oh, I've been faithful to read my Bible, so of course I'm right with God. I've been faithful to attend church, so of course I'm right with God. Hey, I'm still giving my 10% each month. Of course I'm right with God. What does our whole life look like? Is our whole life honoring and pleasing to God? And we shouldn't fill ourselves up with pride and harden our hearts even more. What we should do, right, at the end there, he says, if you're willing and obedient. Are we willing and obedient? Are we willing to humble ourselves before him? Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. If we've come to realize tonight, I've been just going through the motions, I've just been crossing the T's and dotting the I's in my work for God, but yet my heart is far from Him. Man, humble yourself tonight. Humble yourself tonight and allow God to raise you up in due time. Back to Numbers 28. Numbers 28, now we see the offering at Passover. Passover, we know, is instituted in the book of Exodus. But the feast of the Passover, God gives them the rules for it in Leviticus 23, verse 5 through 14. Verse 16, on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month is the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. And you shall do no customary work. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year. And be sure that they are without blemish. Now in verse 23, I love this, I think it's so important. Once again, he says, You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. It's interesting how there's no replacement sacrifices. God doesn't say, hey, if the Passover falls in line with the first of the new month, or if it falls on the Sabbath, don't worry about it. One sacrifice, one offering will take care of all of it. No, he says, hey, if you got the Passover sacrifice, don't substitute the daily sacrifice. We need to come daily to him. A danger for many pastors and many church leaders is we sort of substitute our Bible time. And then now instead of spending personal time with the Lord, we can say, oh, my personal time will be preparing for kiddos teaching, right? Or preparing for this devo I have to share. That I'll just substitute my daily sacrifice with something else. We have to be careful with that. Each household would offer their own Passover sacrifice. And then on top of that, the high priest would offer the daily sacrifice. And then on top of that, they would have to offer two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs, one year or younger. And this would be on behalf of the entire nation. Again, a long day for the priests, having to clean each animal, gut each animal, part each animal, a long day for them. We can also think of the Passover. This is the same day that Jesus died for our sins. A lot of the special and important things in the New Testament coincide with the different feasts and the different days of celebration in ancient Jewish culture. Now in verse 26, we see the offerings at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. This is originally given in Leviticus 23, verse 15 through 22. Verse 26 says, Also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work. Again, another holiday here. On the feast of Pentecost, the feast of first fruits, it was to give thanks to God. This whole feast was about giving thanks to God more than it was about seeking atonement or seeking covering for their sins. This would happen 50 days after Passover, and we can be reminded what happened on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit fell, right? Holy Spirit fell upon the believers waiting in Jerusalem. We go now to chapter 29. Chapter 29, we look at more feasts, more holidays. First one is the Feast of Trumpets. 
Back to Leviticus 23, verse 23 through 25. If you want to write that down, that's when God first gives this to them. But in verse 1 it says, And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work, for you it is a day of blowing the trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year, without blemish. Then God gives them their grain offering attached to it. He gives in verse 5 the goat that would be offered as the sin offering and the atonement. Then in verse 6 he says, besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to the ordinance as a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. So now God is giving them these different sacrifices that correlate with each feast. Imagine if every holiday on our calendar would cause us to take a step back and worship the Lord, right? Imagine if on New Year's, instead of everybody getting drunk and plastered and making out at midnight, right? Imagine if instead of that, we would be crying out to God and we'd be worshiping Him and giving Him thanks for what He's done. Each of the holidays here for the nation of Israel all goes back to God and how God would provide for them, how God was faithful for them. Some of the holidays we're going to see now. The next holiday, verse 7, says, On the tenth day of this seventh month you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. This is known as the Day of Atonement. It's found in Leviticus 23, verse 26 through 32. And the Day of Atonement was not a joyful feast, it wasn't a, a happy feast. It wasn't a, a merry day of atonement or happy atonement day, right? It was a day to consider the weight of the sins of Israel. It was a day to consider not just a person's own weight of sin or a family's weight of sin, but a day for the nation of Israel to consider all, the whole nation's sin there. And they would make an offering that day for the whole nation of Israel. This is the day when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make an offering and atonement there on the mercy seat on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. And I think it is very important for us to take a step back and consider the weight of our sins. To take a step back and consider the weight of our sins. To consider and even allow us to ponder the affliction that it brings to our souls and to the souls of our nation, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, for the believer, there's the reality that this earth is the closest to hell that we will ever get. If you're saved, if you're a believer, this world is the closest to hell that we'll ever get. But for the unbeliever, for the rest of the Americans, and really every human being, if they're not saved, this earth is the closest to heaven that they will ever get. So for us to consider the weight of our sins, for us to consider the weight of the sins of our nation, right? So much death, so much evil happening. Verse 12, now we see the Feast of Tabernacles. This is given to them in Leviticus 23, verse 33 through 44. It tells us, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. Now this is a 
huge holiday, a huge feast. It's seven days of sacrifices, seven feast days over and over and over again. We're going to see here more than 200 sacrifices offered up to the Lord throughout this week. In verse 13, it says, You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, 13 young bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the 13 bulls, two-tenths for each ram, and one-tenth for each of the 14 lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering, and a partridge and a pear tree, right? All of this was just day one. This is just day one of this feast of tabernacles. 30 sacrifices. 30 animals being sacrificed on top of the drink offering and on top of the grain offering that would go and coincide with each of these animals. So we have 30 sacrifices on the first day. Verse 17 through 19, on the second day, 30 animals, 30 sacrifices. Verse 20 through 22, 28 animals on the third day. On the fourth day, 27 animals there in verse 23 through 25. On the fifth day, verse 26 through 28, 26 animals once again. Verse 29 through 31, on the sixth day, there's 25 animals sacrificed. In verse 32 through 34, on the seventh day, there's 24 animals sacrificed. So again, a long week for the priests here. Every day having to sacrifice, having to butcher, having to clean, having to quarter. All of these animals day in and day out. Verse 35, on the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work. And you shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Then there's the grain offering and the sin offering and the drink offering. On this eighth day, this new beginning day, you would have another ten animals sacrificed. So why were there so many animals sacrificed during the Feast of Tabernacles? It's because the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated God's faithfulness and provision for Israel during their wilderness wanderings. How God provided for them in the desert every day, water. In the desert every day, He'd provide manna. Every day in the desert, He would provide quail for them. Day in and day out, God would provide for them. So now in being reminded of how much God provided for them, they would be offering all of these sacrifices Every day for eight days straight. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, it shows us how God provided more than just food and water for the nation of Israel. He provided not just food and water, He provided shade by the pillar of cloud by day. He provided shade for them. At night, He provided the pillar of fire. He provided warmth and light for them in the evening in the middle of a desert. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, he says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Again, there's no Walmarts or Macy's there in the wilderness, right? They couldn't just get new clothes. They didn't even have to sew new clothes. They didn't have to make new sandals. God provided for them that their clothes and even the shoes on their feet would not wear out. And now they would have this eight-day-long feast to be reminded how God is faithful 
even in the wilderness. That's important for us to remember. Sometimes we look at the news, we look at the world, maybe the election results, and you're freaking out, or you're sad, or you're bummed out, right? God's faithful no matter what. No matter how difficult of a season, no matter how bad the wilderness is, God is always faithful. And they'd offer all of these sacrifices, but then in verse 39, what does it tell us? These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts, besides... Your vowed offerings, so if someone would make a promise to God, they'd come and bring that extra offering to him. And your free will offerings, if you were just grateful and wanted to be thankful to God and offer him another offering, that would be on top of that. As your burnt offerings and as your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and as your peace offerings. So all of these offerings, day in and day out, no matter what, and then all of these extra ones for the different holidays. Verse 40 So Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. We talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, how Moses is already taken out of the job. Not only is he taken out of the job, he's told that he's not going to see the promised land. Does he mope or does he pout? Nope. Does he quit? No. Does he say, God, you tell him, right? Let Joshua go and tell him, right? No, he's still obedient and faithful to God, even not being able to see the promised land. Here in verse 40, they're about to cross into this promised land. They're there on the doorstep of being able to enter into the promised land, and Moses is just as faithful as every other day to deliver the word just as the Lord commanded Moses. May that be said of us when we share the gospel with others, when we warn others of sin, when we're encouraging someone, when we're exhorting someone, may it be said of us, Zach told the nation of Calvary Chapel, Miami, right? Or Zach told the nation of the Vasquez's, right? Whatever the family, whatever friend, just as the Lord commanded, that we'd be faithful to what God has told us. The most prominent animal within the sacrificial system was the lamb. And there's no doubt how in John chapter 1, verse 29... John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, all of this sacrifice, all of this blood, 1,200 animals times 1,500 years of death and blood and guts and gore, all of this death. And yet was it enough to wash and take away sins? Still wasn't enough to take away sins. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, just about landing this before we jump into communion. All of this death, all of this blood, all of this guts and gore. Again, for a sin offering, it wouldn't just be the high priest making the offering. If I was coming with my sin offering, I would be there and I'd have my head on the animal and I'd have to be the one to slit its throat. Or to kill it, sensing the life leaving the animal, sensing the gurgling, sensing the blood, and all that has to happen through death and through blood, being reminded what my sin does. What's the ultimate result of my sin? But all of this blood, all of this death, all of this gore, and it's still not enough to wash and take away sins. It was enough to cover sin, but it was still not enough to take away sin. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 1 through 4, it tells us, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, 
which they continually offer year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Again, it was just a picture. A picture of who? Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God wants us to come to Him in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His death and sacrifice. That's the only way we can come to Him. That's the only way we can be washed of our sins. That's the only way we can be washed of the guilt of our sins. It's by coming to God in and through Jesus Christ. Again, family, God wants us to come to Him with our needs. God wants us to come to Him with our thanksgiving. And God wants us to come to Him with whatever vow we've made towards Him. Whatever vow, whatever promise we made towards Him, God desires that we'd fulfill that vow, that we'd fulfill that promise day by day, morning and evening, morning and noon and night, seeking God, crying out to Him with our needs and sharing with Him our thanksgiving. Again, God, He doesn't just desire sacrifices, that you'd be here every day of the week and somehow you'd be right before God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God also tells us that He's near to those who have a broken heart. And He saves those that have a contrite spirit. In Psalm 147, it tells us that He heals the brokenhearted. And He binds up their wounds. Again, the contrast here, if we continue to harden our heart, God tells us He'll break it. He'll smash it sooner or later. But if we come to Him with our broken heart, if we're brokenhearted over our sins, over difficulty, maybe even the sins of our family, the sins of our nation, He will bind up our wounds. Finally, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we come to God with a broken and contrite heart. Don't look at the tape of this last week and just harden your heart or make excuses. If you had a bad week, if you had a bad October, if you had a bad November, right? Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with the Lord and come to Him in brokenness with a contrite spirit and He'll restore you and He will strengthen you. 